and welcome to Bygones, the Annie McBeal Rewatch podcast. I'm Laura Jane Parker. And I'm Eleanor Parker. And we rewatch every episode of Annie McBeal through 2020 eyes. And we're in the millennium. It's here <laughs> and I like <laughs> it. Come on, everyone. It's the millennium. <laughs> made it to 2000 we made, we've done it looks like we made it <laughs> no uh no never a bad excuse for some will smith no love it so uh we're here to discuss the first episode of the year 2000 uh for ali mcbeal yeah very exciting times i hope eleanor has adjusted the cultural stuff jingle because oh, yeah, it is out of date <laughs> Well, you'll find out in this episode whether Anna's managed to do that or not. <laughs> so, this week we are looking at uh, season three, episode nine, uh, Out in the Cold, which uh, first aired 10th of January 2000. We interrupt this program for Eleanor's cultural stuff. Brought to you by the Naughties. The other decade more problematic than it looks. Okay. Yeah, Y2K. Y2K. Um, Y2K, okay. UK number one. I'll mm-hmm. give you the artist. It better not be Cliff Richard again. <laughs> it's not, it's Westlife. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh. Hmm. Uh, was it a single that they released around Christmas time? Uh, Probably. <laughs> it's January. Yeah. Um, hmm. I feel like I have a dream with summer. Um, uh, what else did they do? I don't know. I can't. I hate Westlife. I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're wrong. It was I have a dream. What? I yeah. thought it was a summer one. No, it looks like it was a winter one. It's I Have I a Dream have and a dream. Seasons in the Sun, which I don't remember uh, them doing. What the fuck? What are they, they were, I remember it being a double A side, you're right. Um, but why are they releasing two summery songs in the depths of winter? <laughs> this is why Westlife were just not worth anyone's time and attention. <laughs> they didn't know anything. They had their seasons all backwards. I don't know. I think I Have a Dream is... is can be wintry it's an abba song though so it's not even yeah. theirs no it's not it's a cover but seasons in the sun isn't that a cover yeah they're no good eleanor they're no good <laughs> throw them away <laughs> okay so us number one is still santana featuring Rob oh Collins. see i would still much rather listen to santana for the hundredth time than listen to westlife <laughs> yeah that no, tells you everything you that. need to know i'd agree with that so January. Everyone was really into the summer vibes. (laughs) Santana, Westlife singing ABBA songs. Crazy. Okay, so 1st of January is the launch of Castaway 2000 on BBC One, a reality television show billed as a bold experiment for the new millennium. 36 men, women and children from the British public are placed on Clarence Millennium. What? <laughs> you said a new experiment for the new millennium, and I said, "Yo, excuse me, Will <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 
yes, yes, but carry on. So they're one they're, on an island in Taranze. Yeah, so they're placed on uh, Taranze, a remote Scottish island in the Outer Hebrides, for a year and must build a sustainable, self-sufficient community. Yes. The programme ends on New Year's Day 2001. So. Yes. So remember I remember that? this a lot. Yeah, because yeah. it was like the first reality TV show we had in the UK. Yeah, And yeah. so it was, and it was like, it was so like serious. Like it was like, this is a psychological experiment and it is groundbreaking and we are going to see things we have never seen before and we are taking this very seriously and of course it was where um ben fogel became famous he's now a very well-known tv presenter in the uk yes um but yeah i really remember that and i remember thinking it was such a wild idea to film people for a year yeah yeah no i remember it being a big deal in um britain at the time like yeah because it was groundbreaking no one had ever breaking new ground for anthropological studies we've never done anything like this before it was really yeah i i remember it being like a a real um must-see tv at the time Uh, and who knew that you could then draw a thread between that and love island you know that's that's, that's what happened (laughs) that's what it evolved into yeah um, yeah. The second of January, BBC One airs a Millennium special of its Garden Makeover series, Ground Force, in which Alan Titchmarsh. In South Africa. What? Don't Is it in South Africa? <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to guess. So, in which Alan Titchmarsh, Charlie Dimmock, and Tommy Walsh travel to South African village yes! of Kunyu. Uh, to design and build a garden for former President Nelson Mandela. Mandela, yeah. yes, I remember that I remember as well. It, yeah, it was really, it was really touching. I remember it being really emotional. It was emotional. really touching. Fourth of January, uh, Catherine Hartley and Fiona Thornwell become the first British women to reach the South Pole. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that either. Um, Good for them. Sixth of January, Gillian Telfus, Telforth. Leaves EastEnders as Kathy Beale. Gillian Tailforth. Yeah. She's since gone back, I think, but yeah. Oh, has she? I've stopped watching EastEnders long ago. 7th of January, the long-running BBC children's programme Blue Peter uh, reunites two former presenting teams to dig up the time capsules they buried (gasps) for the year 2000 in 1971 and 1984. Which I think oh, is super cute. cute. How quite is I, that? I actually, I think I remember watching that. Because yeah, I remember thinking, I remember like, watching that. ooh, if we buried one now, when would we dig it up? Like in 30 years. And like, now we're only like 10 years off that. So. Okay. <laughs> Crazy. So on the 11th of January, Gary Glitter is released from jail two months before his sentence for sexual offences ends. Uh, so he's released early. Um, what like for good behaviour or whatever? God knows. Also, he's since been put back in jail, right? Like he's he's no longer in society. Isn't he dead? Like that's what I thought. I mean, <laughs> I, is he still I alive? I hope so. I mean, I mean, he's no good to anyone. Let's so. have a look. No, he's still alive. I thought so, yeah. but he's in jail, right? Yeah, I'm pretty certain that he is. I hope so. Yeah, he got convicted again in 2015. For 16 years good so <laughs> he is a nasty piece of work yes for sure definitely um 
So, uh, also 11th of January, uh, Sharon Osborne quits as the manager of the Smashing Pumpkins after only three months. In a brash press release, she announces <laughs> that she had to resign for medical reasons. Billy Corgan was making me sick. she became manager for a amount of time that's crazy yeah yeah and lastly uh 11th of january again singer whitney houston is caught with 15.2 grams of marijuana in her bag at the hawaii airport she boards her flight to san francisco before police can arrive to arrest her she's like get me on that plane she just sashays away What's funny is that, you know, it was weed, which is I like know, all legal now. I know. It sounds so <laughs> And that stupid. also wasn't the problem with her. The no. problem was that she was addicted to crack, but yes. nobody was paying attention to that. Um, yes. Poor Whitney. I love I Whitney know. Houston. I know. Um, She's like, show me the receipts. <laughs> yes. So. She's like, show me the receipts. I got on the plane. You can't prove anything. <laughs> So, yeah, that's all I've got for cultural stuff. Wow. The end. Wow, what a time January 2000 was. <laughs> it was. So, let's uh, see what is out in the cold in Boston this episode. So, we start, it's a chilly Boston day, and Ali is all bundled up with a scarf, hat, and these delightful little mittens. I with, love um, my mittens. Embroidery on the on the front. It's almost kind of Scandinavian looking. Isn't yeah, it? I really like them. I would I would definitely wear them today. Um, and she's sort of carrying a coffee, um, walking to the office, looking at the ground like the world is just one big inconvenience that she has to endure every day. Um, and a homeless guy is asking for change from passersby. And when Ali passes him, he calls her out for not even looking at her. And he calls her a corporate, hollowed out, soulless ghoul. And she stops, obviously, because it's Ali. She stops dead in her tracks, like all offended. And she tries to argue with him. And he's basically saying, look, I exist, lady. I deserve an answer, even if you don't want to give me any change. And she's like, well, then the answer is no. Have a nice day. (laughs) And then he starts psychoanalyzing Ali, saying, oh, you're a rich bitch, single female lawyer. (laughs) He's like, you went to college at Harvard and you don't talk to people unless they dress in designer clothes. And as he's kind of berating Ali and like calling her out for what she is, Richard walks past um, and he sees Ali and he's like, Ali, what are you doing? And Ali just is like, oh yeah, I'll walk with you, Richard, to the office. And then Richard patronizingly like flips this coin into the homeless man's cup. He's like, here you go, sport. Like, <laughs> and there's this like slow-mo of the coin, coin going into his cup. Yeah. And as they turn to leave, the homeless guy is like, yeah, that's right. Run along to fantasy land. And Ali is like, and he's like yeah i can spot the dreamers too and here's a flash yours aren't coming true and ali is just staring at him like how does this man know me and my soul (laughs) and then we're in titles and i'm just like why does ali not just realize that she's a walking cliche rather than thinking that these people are cracking like such an unbreakable code that it's a sign from the universe every Every time. I know, I know. I mean, I kind of feel like um, they're a little bit like both the asshole here. Like it doesn't. I don't think she meant to ignore him on purpose. 
Um, so him kicking off at her is a bit much, but at the same time, like it isn't nice to ignore people. Um, and maybe no. she was just one too many people that had ignored him that day, and it got it's like the better the of straw. Him. Yeah, the yeah, straw that broke the camel's back. But it's just that thing of like you could have just kept walking, Ali. Like there's no need to stand there and be scandalised that he dare speak to you in that way. Like just keep moving. Yeah, you're not like in a literal ivory tower, <laughs> untouchable. <laughs> So after titles, Vonda is singing Neighbourhood and Ali has made it to her office and is staring at her reflection in her coffee (laughs) without even taking any of her like outerwear off, like her her coat's still on and everything. Um, And Elaine comes in and asks if she's okay. And Ali is just like, my life is a fraud because a homeless man knew my whole pathetic existence (laughs) in one look. Um, Not like she's over dramatizing or anything um and she asks elaine if it's that obvious and elaine's just like yes <laughs> like she's one look at her and she's like yes um so ali decides that she needs to go back and talk to this homeless man some more and elaine is alarmed because she says these people have germs and i was like don't we all like we all have germs but Ali just puts her mitten over Elaine's mouth to stop her from trying to talk her out of it, which I thought was so funny, but also slightly rude. Like, I don't know what I would do if someone just put their mitten over my mouth. I'd be like, leave like, me alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but then two police officers come out of the elevator looking for Ling. And Elaine is very excited to see the police. Um, and Ling comes running up going, you know, it me. Um, and they tell her that they're here to arrest her for running an escort service for underage boys what i know is it me or does everyone react to this news like in a weirdly blase way they're all just like they're yeah they're all like oh not again like like ali literally rolls her eyes and i'm like guys underage boys this is a big deal yeah exactly we've literally just been talking about gary glitter like Jesus Christ. What is happening? I know. So the next scene, um, Orange is the new black for Ling because she's in jail with her full kind of orange jumpsuit (laughs) on, complaining about the toilets in her cell and how she might get a bladder infection. Um, And Richard and John are there to see her. And John is also nauseated by the toilet as well, which uh, I'd be surprised (laughs) if he wasn't, to be honest. Um, (laughs) And Richard is outlining that what they're charging Ling with is serious. There's 21 high school boys ready to testify that they bought dates from your service Ling and Ling's like yeah dates but not sex I was selling cute girls beautiful escorts because high school boys can't get dates and she can't believe that they're complaining basically I mean it turns out it's actually really the parents who are because one mother discovered her son having sex with one of the employees And Ling's defense is just, well, that's not part of the service. That's not what we're selling. Um, And Richard asks her how profitable the business is. And she says, oh, it's only 80 to 90,000 pounds a year tops. It's just a hobby. (laughs) Shrug. Like, and they're all like, okay. Uh... (laughs) How many of these little hobbies does she have like tucked away? Like, it just seems like one thing after another comes out of the woodwork. I know. It's like, super dodgy and like how many more super dodgy things does she have going 
I know. And I don't understand how she has time. Like, how has she got time? (laughs) It's completely ridiculous. Anyway. So meanwhile, Ali's found the homeless guy again. And he's not surprised to see her because he says, you're also a narcissist. Someone sees into your life and you just have to come back for more. (laughs) So... He gives her more. He tells her that you love your dad. You've always been distant from your mother. You probably went to law school to half become your dad, but you're still turning out more like your cold mother. And Ali is just staring at him. And then she suggests that instead of giving him money for a coffee, can I just buy you one? Um, Because she really is a narcissist and wants more. (laughs) This is not enough. She's like, let me sit down so you can really tell me all about me. Exactly. This is the this is what she's finding this is what she is finding attractive <laughs> is someone who's willing to wax lyrical for hours about her. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um so next Ling is up in front of uh the judge, who is Judge Walsh. Um, so John tries to start countering the charges, but Richard doesn't really let him get very far before he gets up and starts to monologue about how oppressed beautiful women are in the workplace. But before Richard can get very far, Judge Walsh is just like, Mr. Fish, I don't even want to see your lips move. Which I was like, yes, Judge Walsh. I am here for Judge Walsh shutting down Richard's nonsense. Absolutely. Um, so the opposing counsel tells the judge that Ling has been running a brothel for underage clients and John asks for a probable cause hearing, which the judge agrees to for later that day. And Ling gets to be released in the meantime. Um, so at a local cafe type place, Ali and the homeless man who we find out his name is Lewis, um, are having coffee And he's all like, is this your new year's resolution to be nice to homeless people? Um, But Ali is all defensive saying, you know, he dared her to recognize him. So is this too much for him to handle? And he's like, oh, you're intimidated by me. So you want to bite first. And Ali says, I don't bite people unless they bathe. I'm afraid of catching something just by having a cup of coffee with you. Oh my God. And then I know. And then she calls him a fraud for sitting out there asking for change. But now he's too proud to accept a handout, you cheap, unwashed, lying loser. And I want to throw in my objection here because what happens in this scene is that after she's so fucking rude to him mm. and mean and just spouting all these like lies about homeless people, um, she he kind of acts like she's got his respect and I really don't like how sometimes on this show they have people throw like the basest of insults at marginalized characters and then like reward it by having that marginalized character be like well no one's been that straight talking with me before thank you so much yeah and it's just like like it feels so icky like I really don't like it yeah no I know what you mean one of those examples and I was like no thank you you yeah, can't it's just go out like, there being so fucking rude to homeless people like and then throwing, be like rewarded yeah throwing stereotypes at people is not calling them out on their bullshit like those are two no. different things <laughs> she doesn't know him she doesn't know him so she can't call him out on his bullshit she doesn't know what bullshit he has yet she's just throwing insults at him based on you know media representations of homeless people rather than actually knowing any and I just it was 
that was bad enough. But then for the show to be like, to have Lewis be like, oh my God, that's the first time anyone's <laughs> ever been so straight talking and I like it. I was yeah. like, no, you don't have to like that, Lewis. No, I know. Yeah, I think that's a so, good objection. Objection. Good. So yeah, anyway, for some reason, Ali insulting Lewis has gained his respect and he's like, so now we know each other. I can tell what you are and you know what I am. Um, and then she asks how he got this magical power to unlock her soul and see inside it. Or rather, she just says what gave it away. Um, and he says, well, most professionals have a cold, hard, driven look like they're meant to be lawyers or whatever. Um, but you had a deadened look, which really made me laugh because that's exactly what you said about Ali singing Santa Baby last week. <laughs> you were I like, told she you. just dead. <laughs> She looks dead inside. <laughs> but yeah, so he says that. He says, you had a deadened look. Like, my life was supposed to be different. How did I get here? And Ali just smacks her head on the table. <laughs> she like, plants the table, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Ling, John, Richard and Nell. Uh, Nell, who incidentally is wearing a picnic blanket as a poncho. Oh my um, fucking God. <laughs> poncho is the ugliest fucking thing I've ever seen Nell wear. Like, it's like a roll neck mini poncho with a kind of like blue and peach diamond pattern with like a blue fringe. Like, it's horrendous. (laughs) Yeah, not a great example of Y2K fashion, I have to say. Um, <laughs> so they're meeting Renee in the conference room back at Cajun Fish um, and they've called Renee in for her advice because she used to be a DA um, and Richard was hoping that she might have like snogged the prosecutor at a Christmas party and she could give them some lowdown and at that R- Renee nearly storms out because well, she's like what? So, because that's so fucking disrespectful like oh she won't actually have any intelligent insight to give us she might just have been sexy with someone and have like the inside scoop on them like it's just like uh like well really... especially because they said come in because we need your advice like yeah. that was what she thought and then it was like no we don't need your advice like yeah. i'm like why wouldn't you take her advice like uh, it's just it's really, really disrespectful it, to me that has a real touch of like misogynoir to it yeah you know totally, totally. Like, it's really icky i didn't like it yeah didn't like that at all. So yeah, Renee didn't like it either, funny enough. So she nearly storms out yeah. um, at that point. But in the end, she stays and she says that in her opinion, she thinks that Ling should testify because that will be the only way to avoid trial. Um, so Richard is like, well, then we testify because um, he wants to get this over with quickly because he's worried about the firm's reputation. He says, we can't have this hanging over our heads. An associate running a brothel? Everything this firm stands for will be compromised. <laughs> and then we get Renee giving a reality check because she's like, please, John used to have sex with cool girls and John chokes on this pastry and it sprays powdered sugar all over Richard's face um and all of this is news to Nell and because Ling. both and of them Ling, look really Nell, Nell in particular yeah. in particular um Richard is like oh that is such a major bygone <laughs> <laughs> and John John just says it was before he knew his character and I was like is that a meta joke yeah. is that before David E. Kelly knew his character <laughs> I thought that was meta too I thought it was really funny <laughs> 
<laughs> but Nell is just really disgusted and she walks off. Yeah. So Ali and Lewis are getting some refills of their coffee and because she has not had enough of being told by herself yet. <laughs> and she, um, but she then asks him, oh, God. oh my God. She then asks him <laughs> if he chooses to be homeless because <gasps> Ali has a very poor grasp of life outside her corporate bubble. And she thinks that some people just choose to be homeless rather than it being something that society has left them no choice with. <laughs> Um, she's read that some people choose it. Um, so Lewis sets her straight saying that he's made, he made bad financial decisions that left him bankrupt and he's too proud to go to a shelter. And he said, I guess I'm too dumb to head south. Um, and Ali's all like, well, you don't strike me as a wacko. Oh (laughs) my God. So not only do you have a poor grasp of life outside your corporate bubble, you have a very poor grasp of mental health as well. Jesus Christ. Um, uh, which is ironic for someone who has so many struggles with it. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but he's like, um, well, actually, I have had manic depression, which means it's really difficult for me to keep a job. Um, and then he says he was once haunted by the pips. And Ali is like what because <laughs> obviously she used to be haunted by the pips too so she's probably thinking they're like soulmates or something um and she tells him that she used to be haunted by al green and she almost took prozac to get rid of him but she managed to shake it without meds um and she says that she thinks it's her inner psyche reminding her that there's music in her life and that it's probably the same for lewis and then actually he's probably better off than the corporate drones with cold hard faces because they don't hear al green or pips but we have music in our lives and lewis, <laughs> lewis says like, i'd quite like some central heating too <laughs> yeah, quite like you know a bed <laughs> and like something to wash with <laughs> But Lewis says, that's probably the reason you're so sad because you don't have any time to let it live. And Ali thumps her head on the table again. And I'm like, how is it that it's Ali being like, God, my life is so terrible for this conversation. My life is so hard for me. Because it's like, only Ali can take a homeless man for coffee and feel like she's the one that has it hard. I know, I know. <laughs> Completely mad. It's absolutely batshit. It's just but like, anyway. perspective is your friend here, Ali. <laughs> you need to get I some. I don't know. <laughs> yes. So, meanwhile, in the unisex, Billy is asking Ling about her escort business. Uh, she tells him that she has about 40 to 50 women who work as freelancers rather than being on salary. Um, and Billy orders six, like he's ordering steaks at a butcher, which I hated yeah. because he wants to use them as accessories to impress a potential client. I know. Because apparently some clients get impressed by pulling up in a mercedes but this guy will be impressed when billy pulls up with six women yeah and i was like you thought billy couldn't get any worse and yeah. he gets worse you like what's wrong. next <laughs> what's next on this train because i just think we need to stop <laughs> but then he walks out to the guitar twang of new man in town whilst ling is just like she's like whatever. shaking her head <laughs> yeah but also not willing to turn down the business either. No. 
Over in the library, John is trying to explain his past with sex workers to Nell. Um, and that um, we've kind of heard this before mm. in season one. He was too busy to join the single scene and go to a bar to look for sex. So it was easier for him to click on escort services. Um, but he says he regrets it and he would never do it again because he's a different person now. But Nell is not happy because she says, leave it to you to admit something was wrong, but then nevertheless refuse to take any responsibility for it. Um, and then John puts his elbow on the little ladder that you use to reach yeah. books and it kind of slides along <laughs> and falls over. Um, but John is trying to say that it was in the past. Um, and Nell is like, yeah, and people are made up of what they do in the past. And then John gets annoyed and he's like, oh, bite me. And he goes to leave for court. And Nell says that Ling wants her to be there too. And John says, well, don't sit next to me. And Nell is like, no problem. And then she does a really nasty impression of his stutter ending in peckerhead. And so I'm not sure what she wants from John here. Yeah, I, can I have two objections this episode because okay i want to throw in an objection here because okay. she i'll allow is, it um, as it's the new millennium i will allow thank it thank you as it doesn't go on any kind of table i think we can be a bit more lenient with the objections but okay this is the second time now has done this like imitated his yeah uh stutter in a cruel way when she wants to hurt him and it's yeah. just proper nasty and i won't stand I know. for it like it's just completely like, unnecessary could... and cruel and i just hate it that she does it and hasn't and you said realized... that the first time yeah and yeah. she hasn't realized that it's just not like clearly like i think the fact that john did not make it clear to her because i do think he forgave her without her actually apologising properly. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what happens when you don't make someone apologise properly and properly acknowledge what it is that what they've they done did. wrong, then they are bound to repeat it. They are bound to do it again. And, and here I just, we go. I do think, like, perhaps I could forgive it the first time but this is like becoming a trend yeah, now exactly. and I, I don't like it it's like, a pattern when you want to hurt me this is this is the it's low your go-to yeah. pull you know play that you'll make and but also I'm just really not sure what she wants from John here like what responsibility does she want him to take it sounds like you know she's upset that he defended using a sex worker and then said it was wrong uh, well, firstly, using a sex worker isn't wrong, and he didn't—he didn't actually say it was wrong. He just said he regretted it, which is a different, different thing. Different thing, yes. But secondly, she seems to be suggesting that people can't learn and grow from their past. Yeah. Like the things that they do in their past should follow them around forever, and I don't really like that view. No. Like I just don't—I'm just really confused as to what she's so pissed off at him about I, I mean I suspect that and we sort of find out a bit later that she's just sad that she didn't know about it yeah but I, that's I, not I, a reason to be like this with him well I think. I think it's fair to be upset that this is how you found out about that aspect of that person's past was you were blindsided yeah. with it in public in front of your friends in front of your colleagues 
like part of a Renee reality yeah exactly (laughs) like people you knew and your friends with knew this about your partner and no one ever said anything to to you and and he never said anything to you yeah um I I would be upset if that was the way that I learned something like this yeah, um, I would be, uh, but she doesn't seem to be making that No, argument, she's not. So that's why I'm confused. She, she, she just <laughs> seems... Because it's that thing of, like, whether it's wrong or not, or whether he regrets it or not, it is in the past and he can't change it. Like, he no. can't go back and make it not be a thing. But I do think... I, I do understand why she's angry in terms of the way she found out was not a pleasant way to find out and he should have no. made sure that she found out in a better way. Um, I agree, but I also think she should say that if that's how she feels. She's I know, not said but that I at think all. sometimes <laughs> people just react without thinking about what it is that they're reacting to, that they, yeah, they don't actually stop and be like, interrogate their feelings. They just react. Um, yeah and they and in Nell's case go for the nasty exactly Exactly. yeah so Ali is on the elevator and a man gets on uh when everyone else gets off and she looks over at him and she realizes that it's Lewis but he is all sort of clean and in suited and booted and she just looks at him and he's not noticed her and she just says Lewis and he's really surprised to see her and he asks why she's there and she's all well I work in this building why are you here and why are you in these clothes yeah um and she takes him to her office where Lewis explains that he's doing research for a book he's not homeless he's actually an insurance agent and he has a client in this building which was why he was here and the book is about homeless subculture in urban America um, but he says he never meant to deceive anyone and he reminds Ali that it was her that invited him for coffee. Um, and he says, and that skewed his whole premise for the book, which I thought was funny. <laughs> um, and Ali's like, so all those things you said to me, that was like part of a script. And Lewis says, no, no, I, I really saw those things in you. Um, and Ali says, well, were you never haunted by the pips? And he was like, no, I, I wish I was. And then Lewis asks if Ali really thought she saw Al Green. And she's like, yes. And Lewis just says, well, I'm jealous. There's still hope for you. Um, And he goes to leave. But then Ali asks if he wants another cup of coffee. And Lewis says yes. Yeah. So So weird homeless cosplay. (laughs) Yes, homeless cosplay. Um, At court, a boy called Marcus is testifying that when he couldn't get any dates, even from fat, ugly girls with facial hair, um, some friends suggested that Ling's escort service, um, it should be something that he goes and explores. And he, he clicked on it and he found that a date was um, $175. Um, and he booked one with a girl called Leslie. Um, and then he's asked to point out Leslie in the courtroom. Um, and he says that she picked him up and they went to a high school party. And then he ordered her again the next weekend and the one after that, which was homecoming. Um, and it turns out it was after the homecoming uh party that they made love which uh i do not believe he would ever say no (laughs) no 
teenage boys what teenage do not talk kids about is making love. No. <laughs> Uh, they made love in his bedroom and then his mum walked in on it. So uh, the DA asks if he paid for the sex and Marcus says that he's not sure. He only paid the same rate as the other dates. But he thought because it was the third time that perhaps he was getting an upgrade like frequent flyer miles. <laughs> oh my God. The mind of a teenage boy. I swear. I, I think... <laughs> That's pretty accurate in regards to like <laughs> the dumb things teenage boys think. I mean, oh Christ. Um, so uh altogether, Marcus says that he spent seven hundred dollars on Leslie, plus incidentals because he bought all the protection. <laughs> and then Ling just turns to John and says, You better pick this little bastard to pieces. Oh no. So Okay, deep breaths for the next scene. (laughs) I don't even know what to say about this. I've got stuff to say, but it will be later. Okay, so, so. (laughs) (laughs) Billy. 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 Of course it's Billy. (laughs) Billy comes out of the elevator into Cajun Fish to this bassy soundtrack with six of Ling's women dripping off of him. They are all dressed exactly the same in tight, sexy, black, PVC, shiny dresses with low backs. Yeah. Yeah. Slicked hair, shiny red lips. Um, very, very similar look to the Robert Palmer girls in Addicted yeah, to Love. Yeah, Addicted to Love um, video, yeah. And they're all, um, they kind of walk in formation at Billy's kind of gestures with his hand. He's like, yeah. forward, then stop, then side. And yeah. then when he has decided he wants to stop and talk to someone, there's this noise like a, like an exhaust hiss or something like, like something and they just sort machi- of, a, a mechanical, isn't it? Like, like, like someone, something stopping, like a valve being unlocked. Yeah. And then they all kind of like slump into a pose. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Um, so they all do this kind of formation walk up to Elaine and they go and pose. And she's like, your client's in the conference room. So then they continue into the conference room where the potential client is waiting and when he gets there, they stop and pose again. <laughs> and Billy takes a cigar out of his mouth and starts his pitch. And he says, Mr. Hallen, Billy Thomas, thanks for seeing me. I won't take much of your time. The median age of the lawyers currently representing you is dead. You're the CEO of a hip advertising agency. You need to switch to a younger, hipper law firm. And Mr. Hallen is like, who are these women? And Billy's (laughs) like, they're my assistants. And Mr. Hallen says, but but what do they do? And Billy says, you're seeing what they do. We all have our ways. I do my best work operating on a heightened sense of acuity. Mine is best derived from sexual energy. Pretty women make me a better lawyer. It's a fact. I won't apologize for it. I like the way they look, the way they smell. The testosterone they generate makes me a bigger ass. And I've discovered the more of an ass I am, the better I litigate. Putting modesty aside, you won't find a more gigantic ass than me. And then he pops the cigar back in his mouth. And I died laughing. My I so funny. God. I thought it was My so funny. God. 
I think it took me like a full five minutes to come back to the TV after that speech because of all the patriarchal toxic fumes that were emitted. It's so over the top. Like it's like if you didn't get the point about Billy so far, you've really got it now. Do you know what I mean? I just love that it ends with you won't find a more gigantic ass than me. Like I just think it's so because it's true he, it's true <laughs> he's really dialing it up to the max yeah absolutely um, and what's kind of upsetting is that uh you know all of the ridiculous around about him aside he's kind of right like the more of an ass you are in the legal system the better you are the better the more success you often have and if that isn't a damning indictment of the way the legal system works then i don't know what it is but i think it's the case <laughs> with like mo- a lot of industries and i think especially yeah. a lot of industries that are male dominated i think there is there is something about being rude and disrespectful and arrogant um, arrogant being sexist being racist being like it it gets you further it gets you further Uh, and yeah and because it's seen as yeah i don't know what it is like i i I think it's just well it's the patriarchy yeah that's what it is it's men rewarding men for furthering men like like yes more of the same sign us up (laughs) yeah exactly like don't worry i'm on your side like white straight man like you know what i mean i just it it is i I absolutely you're right it it is true the 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 assholes do rise to the top (laughs) like they just do so yeah i mean great i mean it's pretty iconic that scene i feel yes. um for the series uh yeah. so it was good to finally get to get it. get there yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely um in the courtroom john is crossing uh marcus and asking if leslie ever quoted a price for sex and marcus says no um, and John asks if actually didn't Leslie say that she wanted to make love to you because she liked you? And Marcus says, well, she did say that, but he wasn't sure if she was just trained to say it. <laughs> and he's like, uh, John clarifies that by they, he means, you know, the sex workers that work for Ling. He says that he thought that that's what she um, did because she, she slept with him and he couldn't imagine anyone actually wanting to do that because he's a geek. And then John asks why he hired Leslie to be his date. Um, And Marcus says, well, he thought that if he went to a party with a beautiful girl, that you'll then be popular with the guys and the girls and that you would be seen as cool. And then that could lead to a real date. And John says, well, did you say any of that to Leslie? And he said, yeah. And Leslie thought it was sweet. And John says, but actually, didn't she say that you were sweet? And Marcus is like, yeah. And John asks Marcus if Leslie told him that he was attractive. And Marcus says, yeah. And John says, well, when you were making love to her, didn't you believe it was possible that she really wanted to? And Marcus is like, yeah. (laughs) I don't know why this thinks this makes everything look okay. Like, I'm just like, Ling's employee sexually assaulted a minor. I don't know what you think. Oh, but she really likes him. Like, is it was consensual um, uh, that doesn't work no. if you're uh, a minor. underage yeah yeah 
Um, so that evening, Ali has taken Lewis to the bar for a drink. Um, she <laughs> asks how he knew that she was a lawyer. She's still trying to understand this magical power that he has. <laughs> Um, and Lewis says that he can read people, which is obviously like catnip to narcissists. So yes. clearly Ali wants to know what else he can tell about her. It's like, how much time do you think he has to talk about you, Ali? <laughs> <laughs> She'll take Jesus all she Christ. can, basically. Uh, well, long. he kind of has her number because he says, well, you love to hear people talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no shit. Nobody needs to have a magical power to tell that. Exactly. Um, but she playfully punches him on the arm um, and he says, no, but on a serious note, you have a lot of friends. Everyone in your office is probably the most fascinated by who you're dating. And they'd probably be riveted to see you sitting here with me. And Ali's like, oh, yeah, that. That is right. Everybody can't get enough of me. That's really accurate. <laughs> and she's like being all flirty. And she asks, well, how did you know that? And Lewis looks over at a table over the other side of the room. And literally everyone from the office is there seeing her. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Um, so then Ali and Lewis decide to go somewhere else. And as they leave, Ali like bumps into people she can't get her bag off of the chair she knocks the chair over and then we hear a glass smash so she's very flustered (laughs) um but over on the other table richard is uh pleased to see that ali's finally met somebody and nell says uh oh he's cute and then john just goes bitch and everyone (laughs) looks at him and he goes oh that's that supposedly that's the line he used to pick her up And I was just like, if this is some comment, like dumb comment about how women don't like nice guys, I am not here for it. And also, no. and like we were saying, more than anything, Ali likes this man because she likes anyone who is happy to spend hours telling Ali about Ali. Like, Literally that's the entire <laughs> day, all she's done, she's not done any work, she's just asked Lewis to tell, tell her me about herself. <laughs> Goodness me. Like, go on. <laughs> yeah. And you were saying? <laughs> the next day at Ali's apartment, she's discussing Lewis with Renee while she's making breakfast. And she seems really optimistic about their connection. She's like raving about how interesting and compassionate he is. And I'm like, he's only interesting because he's talking about you. <laughs> But she thinks that she might have found a decent guy who's even cute. Um, And then obviously it's Ali, so she can't be optimistic without being negative. So she says, I'm sure that he's an escaped criminal or he used to be a girl or or worse, he'll ultimately display signs of being a real insurance agent. But, 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 you know, one night, one lone night, I got to look at a guy and go, maybe. Do you know how long it's been since I have met a genuine, legitimate maybe and obviously i'm not here for her worry that he might have been a girl but it's nice to see her excited about someone who's you know actually accessible to her because this season we haven't seen her like the only person she's been remotely interested in has been that joel guy (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah it's really weird like random little transphobic comment she threw in there but it's just like yeah like why um but yeah like it's yeah you because 
Lewis, like, he does have a kind of charisma to him. And, and you are just like, oh, you know, I could see, like, something being here. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. So, I yeah, like you say, it's nice to, to see her feel excited about someone. We've not had that for a while. Yeah. Um, so Renee asks her when she's going to see him again. And Ali goes, oh, any second he's having a shower. And Renee's like, what? <laughs> Ali's... Ali's of course kidding um, but she is going to meet him for lunch Uh, so in court today Leslie is being questioned by John and she says that she never discussed payment for sex with Marcus Um, she just liked him because she thought he was adorable Um, and then the DA asks so adorable you'd have sex with him for free like that's (laughs) A, like unfathomable <laughs> idea um, but then but then he's like you then went on a date with him after and you charged him for that is it date for fee sex for free and she's like no it's office policy to charge for dates um, but I liked him so I had sex with him and Ling is like huffing and puffing so John objects um, but then the DA asks if uh, she's ever dated 16 year old boys for money um, and she says yes but 16 is as low as we go. And the DA's like, as, as low, low as, as you, you go. go. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not really helped their case. What is the age of consent in Massachusetts? Is it 18? Well, this is my question, actually, because I think that is what this whole case hinges on. Mm. Um, well, I mean, they've said he's underage, so I would assume... If they're 16-year-old kids, and it must be 18. The age of consent must be 18. Okay, so I've looked it up. So the age of consent in Massachusetts is 16. Um, however, there is a another section of their uh, laws that says there's another age of consent at 18 when the victim is of chaste life. <laughs> so it says... Whoever induces any person under 18 years of age of chaste life to have unlawful sexual intercourse shall be punished. What does that even mean? I think most people take it as 16. But yeah, that's weird. That's bizarre. (laughs) I don't even know what that would mean. No. Okay, so they're not underage then if they're 16. It's interesting. I think we'll come on to this in retrial because i think that's basically what this whole case hinges on um but yeah the age of consent is 16 because that changes everything it does though (laughs) it does change everything i know i know yeah because i just assumed because they said underage boys i was like well it depends Uh, yeah i think so there's two things isn't there there's the age of consent which is 16 but there's also the age at which you become an adult which is 18 yeah, this is this is weird. I don't quite get. Uh, let's uh, uh, let's wait till retrial. This is rubbish. This is so confusing. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, so um, Ling is not happy with John's performance as they file into an ante room saying that John was terrible. Um, Richard tries to calm her down by calling her Reese's cup. Um, and she wants to know why John didn't establish that the office policy is that they're not allowed to socially see the clients. And John says, oh no, I'm leaving that for your testimony. And now pipes up saying, well, you should have got it in sooner. And then her and John start sniping at each other until Richard intervenes by screaming, bygones, as a bell rings. (laughs) 
<laughs> and John says, at least I was an adult. She's peddling her little trollops to teenagers. Uh. And then he tells Ling that she's on the stand next and that she needs to come across as likable, unlike the company you keep. And he's referring to these gestures to Nell. Yeah. And then as John's about to leave, Nell gets in one more dig saying, and I hate your stupid frog too. And I was like, not Stefan, Nell! <laughs> Too soon! Well, John looks very angry as he leaves when, uh, after she says that. So, yes. I mean, John and Nell are just completely self-destructing. Um, yes. Yeah, it's, it's uh, not good. I mean... Not, not healthy. At this point, I did think, like, given the time and given who Nell seems to be, like, I don't think she was ever going to be able to handle the news that John went to a sex worker before... He was with her like that well. I don't think she was ever going to be able to handle it like that well in the first place. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, yeah, it's difficult. Mm. So, Ali comes out of the elevator at Cajun Fish and she's looking really glum because it turns out she was stood up for lunch. Um, And Elaine says, oh, I'm sure there was a good reason. Like, you know, maybe he's dead. And Ali seems to be like comforted by that suggestion because she's like, you think? Because at least it wouldn't be a reflection against her. (laughs) But then we hear the bassy music again and the sound of high heels stomping as Billy and his women props walk up to Ali and Elaine and they go, pose and Ali just looks at him like what the fuck and Billy's all it's a look like it and Ali's like no and why are you still doing it because you got the client and Billy says it becomes me and they just walk off (laughs) yuck (laughs) I mean this was gonna be uh my second because right So the thing I hate about the whole sexy women as accessories thing is not that he's hired sexy women to be sexy next to him. It's the language he uses about them. He says, like, it's a look. Like it. Not they're a look. It's a look. It becomes me. Like, he's referring to them in front of them like they are literal objects, not people. And that's yeah. what I find so dehumanising about this. Like, he doesn't want to see women as people and so much so he's willing to pay sexy women to stand next to him so he can literally objectify them to their faces. It's just yeah. proper, like you say, yuck, gross. Yuck, absolute yuck. Um, I agree. So, so then the elevator dings and Lewis steps off. And he says, uh, he has a story about why he was not there for lunch. He was almost killed. Someone almost ran him over, which is why he didn't make the date. And he did try to call the restaurant to let her know. And he wants to know if they still have time for lunch. And then Elaine suggests that why doesn't she go and get some sandwiches so that they can eat in Ali's office, which I was like, that's a nice thing to do, Elaine. Well done. (laughs) Um, So, so that's, I guess Ali's like accepted his, you know, uh, excuse and uh, they're going to have sandwiches in Ali's office. (laughs) Um, So then Ling is on the stand being questioned by John and she's saying girls are so stupid, especially high school girls. They want what other girls have, whether it's clothes or shoes. They don't use their own taste. They just like what their friends like. 
And John asks if that is the basis of her escort service. And Ling says, yes, if the girl sees the boy with a beautiful woman and then they want him. Um, And Ling says she has a strict rule against having sex with clients. It's very definitely a dating service only. So then the DA crosses and says, so you're saying this is just rent-a-date? And Ling is taking a sip of water and will not be hurried because she sticks her (laughs) finger in the air like, pause please. Um, And then she swallows and she just goes, yes. (laughs) And then the DA asks, um, is there no implied offer of sex? And Ling says that um, sex is implied on any date. That's how we get you to buy dinner. I said, girls are stupid. Men are more so. Um, And then the DA asks if the boys are paying $175 and getting nothing in return. And Ling says, no, they get company and conversation. How typical of a man to consider that nothing. And then she turns to Judge Walsh and says, it's one thing for him to think with his dumb stick. I shouldn't have to be prosecuted with it. It's <laughs> really funny. I also thought that was a stupid question because obviously they are getting a date for $175. Yes. Yes. Like, what anyway um so judge walsh tells ling just to answer the questions um and ling says look men don't get it if you walk into a party with a date the women are gonna check her out before they check you out it's not that they're lesbians it's just women are vain appearance driven animals ruled by envy if a girl more beautiful comes through the door we want to be her we want what she has including her date even if he's funny looking like marcus and marcus just goes Hmm. <laughs> that's the service <laughs> we don't offer sex we don't provide it and the DA clarifies but you do sell dates to boys underage boys and Ling says is this the part where we backtrack and repeat ourselves and then she turns to Judge Walsh and goes get me a real DA I'm bored <laughs> I mean her whole argument like classic Ling I know her whole argument like in terms of like girls are stupid and vain and jealousy driven like creatures who always want what a beautiful woman has I'm like not really Ling like there are loads of beautiful women with average looking partners who I do not desire and I just started to think like (laughs) do you think this is what David E. Kelly tells himself when he walks into a room with Michelle Pfeiffer. That, that is exactly yes. That is why. That is exactly it. Helps him be more attractive to other women because I'm just like, sweetie, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. That is exactly that's the whole concept of a trophy wife. Yeah, right? it's like a thing that they can show off about and. <laughs> Well, I think a trophy wife is more showing off to men, like this, like other men, like, look who I get to go to bed with. Whereas I feel like what David E. Kelly is basically saying (laughs) is beautiful women actually make average looking men more attractive. And I'm just like, no, they don't. (laughs) Average, Average men make beautiful women look more beautiful when they stand next to them. Yeah, That's exactly. Actually, how it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Ali and Lewis 
are on their date in her office and um, standing in front of her desk facing each other. And she's trying to get him to hear music in his head and dance with her. Classic Ali move. So she starts hearing Vonda singing Dance With Me um, and she closes her eyes and starts dancing. Um, but then Lewis stops her and the music distorts um, and, and he's like, so wait a minute you're hearing music right now and Ali's like concentrate (laughs) and he takes his jacket off like to take it more seriously um and the music starts up again and then they just look into each other's eyes and they start dancing getting closer and closer but they're not touching yet um and then Elaine comes in with the sandwiches and they haven't noticed her and she kind of dances across in rhythm to what they're doing (laughs) and behind Lewis and she sort of stands back to back with Lewis and starts to slide up and down with him in time with them. And then he notices that she's there and the record scratches and they all stop dancing. And Elaine just goes, lunch is served. And might I say, and Ali just goes, no. And Elaine goes, appish snay and leaves. It's oh, that dear. magical hearing music in your own head test that Ali likes put men she really likes it she's literally done it to everybody hasn't she yeah um so ling richard uh and john and nell are coming out of the elevator back in the office and richard's saying ling could have at least tried to be sympathetic (laughs) and ling was like i was under oath (laughs) she can't be expected to lie richard um and then john takes off his shoes and ling says what is the funny little man doing now and he says i have to prepare my final statement you ungrateful little pimp and storms into his office Um, except that Nell is right behind him and confronts him saying that obviously this hostility is about her and John asks her if he judges her on her past and Nell says well I don't have a criminal record and John says I don't either and Nell argues that that's only because he wasn't convicted he still committed a crime and he's like it was a victimless crime and she says well how do you know that how do you know how some of these women came to be sex workers like how much did they charge you to let you spank them you did spank them didn't you and John's like I didn't spank them there was only one the only woman i ever spanked ended up calling me a peckerhead and then he tries to get to the root of nell's anger and he says i know you're smart enough to know that everyone has a past and i know for a fact that you're open to legalizing sex work because we've argued about that before and i've taken the other side so why are you so angry like what is going on and now says that she's not angry she's hurt which is what we suspected she says as open-minded as I am um well we suspected that she was hurt that she wasn't told Mm. but then she says this she says as open-minded as I am the man I marry the father of my children it hurts to think that he's been with a sex worker and she says she doesn't want to get ahead of herself like marriage is far away and and he might not even get married to her but she thinks that one day he will be married and have children and she thinks you know wouldn't your children be devastated to learn that their daddy once slept with a sex worker and she thinks he has a duty to them even though they don't exist yet and also a duty to your future wife and I was just a bit like what like I mean also didn't Nell say she didn't want kids like what is happening yeah that's true actually she's always said she doesn't want children so why is she now 
giving him the uh, father of my children speech. Like, I... Well, like, obviously she can change her mind, but we yeah. have no inkling that she has. No. So it's just really come out of the blue. I think the whole you have a duty to any future spouse or future children you might have is a really odd way of thinking about it. Like, I don't quite understand that element however like I think this is really interesting because I do actually sympathize with now I think even when you've done the work to confront all the prejudices that maybe you were raised to have about sex workers and you Mm -hmm. understand and agree with all the reasons it would be a good idea to legalize it you can still end up realizing that despite all of that you still think really badly of the men who visit sex workers You still see them as, like, sad, grubby, creepy men who are going to sex workers because maybe uh, no woman would want to have sex with them otherwise, or even worse, because they're horrible misogynists who go to sex workers because they think it gives them a kind of power over women that they wouldn't normally have. Mm -hmm. And I think... And you have to grapple with that. Like, you know, you have to grapple with... Well, if I've come to the conclusion that there is nothing inherently morally wrong with sex work in general, shouldn't I have a more, if not understanding view, than at least a more neutral view on the con- mm. of the consumer side of it? Um, because sometimes I like I can't quite square that circle. Sometimes I I I I think if I'm really honest, if I found out a man that I knew had gone to a sex worker, at the very least. I know that I would lose respect for him. And I know, and I I honestly don't know whether that's fair or not. Like, I don't know. And I I have very mixed feelings about it. Like... I I think it just depends on their reasons for going. Like, I don't... When I listen to John explain why he went, I understand it. And I don't begrudge him that. And I just think she knows John... Like, yes, I can get her being hurt at the fact that she found out you know, he yes. hadn't told her before. But that's not what she... Again, that's not what she's saying here. No, she's it's like, not. you owe a duty to your future wife. And I'm sorry, no, they don't, no, don't, I don't owe think... a duty to their future no, wife. No, I, I, I think... At least all their future children. Like, at what point are you going to sit down your child and be like, so, daddy 30 years ago, daddy you. went to a sex worker. <laughs> like, who's having that conversation? No one. It's just bizarre. Like, and no also, parent, even if... No parent tells their child every deepest encounter encounter. that they've ever had like that's odd like I'm not saying you keep it from them necessarily or you're that you should be ashamed of it but I just think your child probably doesn't need care that much you know what I mean like I just know exactly and I just think if, if you've got your if you're talking about a future wife you'd hope at the point where they become your wife, that you've already had the conversation about it and you've talked about each other's pasts mm. and been happy with it. Like, so at that point, that doesn't matter either. So no. I just thought that was a really odd argument. Yeah, I think... And a really strange thing to be upset about. Yeah. Like, I, I cannot I think... possibly marry a man. I, yeah. I, I think it, it it is one of those things where I, I like, I, I get... I, I I'm, I mean... Yeah, she say her argument is he has a duty to future spouse and children, and I don't think that's true. 
Um, I think he has a duty to tell his future spouse. Yes, yeah, but but a, if she's but not happy about live, it, then then uh, maybe she's not the right spouse. Yeah, that no one has a duty to live a flawless life. Um, no, like everyone has met has done things that they regret later, and everyone has done things that maybe they don't regret, and other people would judge them for. Um, and that is, yeah, I, I, but I do, I think I, I do under, I do sympathise with Nell because I think what it is, is she, this is an element of John's past that she didn't know about that changes mm. how she views him, um, even if she doesn't want it to change how she views him. I think it does. And I think she's sad and hurt that he didn't tell her on, you know, in, in the correct I way. I think that's the thing. She's sad he didn't tell her. Um, and she's got a right to be sad about that. Yeah. Um, but she's not once said that. No, you know I mean? she she's, hasn't. She's like saying lots of other stuff. And I'm like, that's not the real problem here. You're not dealing with the real problem. No, but I, I, and I also think she's not being honest in terms of like, yeah, this kind of changes how I see you a little bit. And maybe I need to just sit with that and work through that um because that's my problem that's not your problem kind of yeah, thing exactly um yeah so the next day elaine is asking ali what happened after she went to dinner with lewis so obviously she's been on another date with him um and ali says that he took her home and kissed her goodnight like a gentleman and um and then we get this side of pessimism because she goes he must have a wife and a child in another state i'm not this lucky um and then the elevator dings and the Billy show comes into town again as they kind of catwalk around to the conference room um, and Ali and Elaine are watching on. Um, and Ali is like, this is ridiculous. How long is he planning to keep that up? And Elaine just looks like she's desperate to be one of them. <laughs> she's just like in awe every time they come past. She's like, wow. She um, is, isn't she? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> She'd be a really good one, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, she'd like, I think it'd be a dream role. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, John is doing his closing. Um, and in his closing, he says that life is just about image. Having a beautiful woman on your arm attracts other women. It primes the dating pump. That's all Ling's service was designed for. Yes, some of the girls ended up having sex, but that wasn't my client's intent or was it her doing? And then Judge Walsh interrupts to say that Ling was running an escort service. And John says, well, that's not illegal. And then Richard interrupts John as Judge Walsh goes, oh, dear God. <laughs> Richard says, almost every woman is bought. It's good that these kids learn that at a young age. Mr. Fish, tell me women don't become interested in men because of the size of their wallets. We see beautiful young girls walking around with 80 year old men on welfare all the time, don't we? People in this country are seduced by success. Fancy car, big house, beautiful woman. It's the American way. And it's become increasingly difficult for me to just sit back and see this nation trashed by a district attorney who probably uh, married ugly. When if you'd gone into private practice, could have afforded something prettier, something Mr. Fish. And then Judge Walsh thankfully stops him. And John ends by saying, look, there was no sex for hire here. End of story. We might not like the idea of high school kids buying dates, but it's not against the law. And then he just pushes Richard <laughs> into his chair before he can add anything else. Uh, yeah, so another classic, disgusting Richard bloviating at yeah. the uh, judge. Uh, 
obviously women are not objects, uh, but Richard hasn't quite come to that conclusion yet. Um, the DA then does his closing and says they know for a fact that three escorts had sex with three boys and money was exchanged hands. So a crime has been committed. And then John somehow is allowed to say something in response to that, which I didn't really understand. I know. I was just like, uh, why is he allowed to stand up again? Like, what's to stop the other lawyer from rebutting his rebuttal? Like, they could be here all day. I don't understand how it works. But anyway, John uh, gets up and he says, um, it's not a crime. Um, Is it something Miss Wu or the boys should be embarrassed about? Perhaps. One day, do they wish they could undo it? Probably. Uh, It will comment on them forever. It might even hurt their loved ones. And I'm sure they will definitely regret that. But that's for a different court. In this one, a court of law, no crime has been committed. Yeah, so... (sighs) What's the problem here if they're not... If I'm getting very confused because my notes have all been based on the idea that they are underage and they are minors and therefore yeah, that means that this would be statutory rape. Yeah, it's not statutory rape by the looks of things. Yeah, so I'm like, yeah, so what is the problem here? I don't understand. <laughs> Uh, I guess, well, you're not, I allowed, guess then you're not allowed to sell sex sell for sex. money. Yeah, that, that's what it is. Right. That's okay. the problem. I'm fucking hell. Okay. Right. So, what a waste of time. I need <laughs> Jesus. So, Ali has decided to go and see Lewis at his work, except the woman at the front desk says that he doesn't work there anymore. And Ali's like, since when? And the woman is like, hang on a minute, how do you know him again? And she's like, well, I'm a close friend. And the woman's like, calls someone and says, can you come out and talk to this woman? Um, she's come here about Lewis. Um, and a man comes up and explains to Ali that um, Lewis did used to work here. Um, how well do you know him? And Ali says, well, we've been dating. And then the man tells Ali that Lewis has a paranoid personality disorder. He did work there until six months ago. And the last they heard, he was on the streets. Oh, my God. Immediately, I was like, well, I don't really buy this. Because how on earth? Like, am am I like super ignorant about homelessness because how on earth could an actual homeless like an actual homeless person have access to the things you'd need to have access to in order to make out like you're not homeless he could have gone to a shelter and got cleaned up but then why wouldn't you be clean all the time if if that was as easy as that if if you buy what he's been saying is he doesn't he's he's he was too proud to go to a shelter like normally day to day but perhaps you know if he really will see later on he met Ali and was like I can clean up for her so I think to try and do that he went to a shelter to clean up to be able to bump into her again okay that's what I think okay Um, I mean it's it's quite a tall tale but yeah yeah um, i mean because they went to dinner yeah, i don't think it's they? beyond yeah but i think you know maybe she would have paid i don't know i mean uh, 
can't really I can't imagine see Ali her paying that. and then still raving about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she is that kind of <laughs> idiot. Um, I mean, he might have stolen money. Uh, that's possible. Right. Like, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, that okay. kind of thing. Okay. Um, it's 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 quite far fetched, but I don't think it's completely beyond the realms of possibility. Okay. Um. So anyway, Ali's come back to the office and she looks really glum again. And then she finds Lewis there in her office waiting for waiting for her. And he gets up and he's holding some flowers. So he's managed to get hold of some flowers somewhere. Um, and Ali confronts him and she just says, you've got paranoid personality disorder, Lewis. I've just come from your old workplace. I, I've also checked with the police. You filed 73 complaints complaining someone wanted to kill you. You live on the streets. Did you steal these clothes? And Lewis just looks so broken. And he just goes, yes. And Ali sighs and she's like, why didn't you get any help? And he says, well, I took the medication, but I didn't feel like myself. Um, It made him feel slower and duller. But he says after he met Ali, he started taking the medication again. And he says now he wants to be healthy and he knows he can be healthy. He just wasn't going to do it for some stupid job. But he thinks being with Ali is worth trying to re-enter society for. Um, He says, you make me want to come back. I can be well again. I know I can can we still see each other? And Ali says she doesn't think it's going to work out. And Lewis is like, I can get a handle on it. The way you sometimes hear Al Green, we get each other. I know it. And Ali says, well, will you let me help you get treatment? And he's like, yeah, I'm happy to get treatment, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you and me. And Ali says, again, she doesn't think it's going to work out. And Lewis just says, how many people can look inside you the way that I can? And Ali just doesn't say anything. So he puts the flowers on her desk and he leaves. I really feel for both of them in this moment. Like, I really like Lewis, but you can't put that kind of pressure on a romantic partner. Like, you have to want to be healthy for you, like, not for your partner. So I I I think it was right for Ali to end it. But it is one of those things where... I, if it was me, I would be tempted to be like, well, we can be friends and I can help you, like, you know, find something, you know, help you get better. And then maybe later on when you're in a good place, like we, something could happen then. But that would be like, that would be like super difficult to navigate when the person who's ill and who's struggling wants to continue a romantic relationship with you, like right now like you would probably yeah. end up hurting him more which in turn could like really damage his recovery so i do think I ultimately she's done the right thing but it's just it's just, really sad I, I felt it was i don't know because i feel like there must have been a way that she could have it just felt like unnecessarily definitive and heartless at the end. Like, I agree with you. I'm absolutely positive that getting into a relationship was a terrible idea. Like two people who are struggling with mental health issues that don't have a great handle on their issues will not be a healthy situation to build a relationship mm. from. Like they both need to sort that out. Ali's kind of starting to get there, but but Lewis obviously needs a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like she didn't have to just cut him out altogether. Like it just seems to me, it seemed like the emphasis was more on the fact that 
well, of course she can't be expected to have a happy ever after with this guy. He's a dirty vagrant rather than being like, I could be his friend and help him. Even if that's to start with a little bit at a distance. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I, I know what you mean. Because um, there's a bit more that comes later that adds to that perspective for oh, me. okay um I, I, which I'll I point out certainly but... in this moment i didn't feel like that was that she was coming from a, oh i couldn't possibly be associated well, with you um wait a minute yeah. because that does come yeah i i you know i i believe you i at, at this moment i i didn't get that impression um like i say i think i would be tempted to want to continue to be in his life um yeah a, as a friend and help him um but i i do think like he's clearly gotten a, he he has placed a lot of pressure on her in regards to i can i can do this for you um but if you're not going to be my romantic partner then it won't be worth it and I yeah and I think I like that's a really unhealthy place to start from it even is. as friends even as friends that's a really unhealthy place to start from and I think I I, I just think like you you can't at this point in time you can't guarantee that anything romantic is definitely ever going to happen, even if he does no. get himself into and a I good think, place. And I, I think... think taking that off the table is the right thing to do yeah. at this point in time. But I just, it just seems like he hasn't got anyone else. So if you walk away, Ali... But like, that's, that's not her responsibility. It's not, but I do feel... I don't know, just like if I met someone and we had a really good bond and I really liked them and wanted them to do well, I don't know, maybe it's early enough in the relationship that you could just walk away, but I would just always be like, oh God, what happened to them? And I'd feel super guilty. But it, it wouldn't be, the, the reason you'd feel super guilty is because he has put this immense pressure and responsibility on you that is unfair and it's because he's ill and it's because he's struggling that he's done that. So it, it's not... I guess what I'm saying is I would want to help him get the help he needs to get yeah, better. I would not, not with the promise of anything else no, at the end but, of it. But, but, at, but at this moment in time... And not even, not even being in contact with him, like, you know, not even seeing each other that often, just whether it's monetary support, whether it's, you know, yeah, I, insisting I that he goes to he therapy or whatever. I agree. I just think he is not giving Ali that option. He is right. saying, no, 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 but what about us? We, we, yeah. we, we be together, It'd be, you know, like, like yeah. and she's saying, no, like romantically, like right now, I can't do that. Uh, it's not going to yeah. work right now, but can I help you? And he doesn't, he's not Listen, interested yeah. in her help unless it comes with a romantic relationship with like her too. Yeah. yeah. And it just, or at least a guarantee that she will give him a romantic relationship yeah. at some point. Like that's, that's the position he's putting her in. And like I say, yeah. it is because he's ill. It is because he's struggling that he's just dumped all his like hopes onto her yeah. 
and uh, and you can't you're not going to be able to work with that well like no. it's no not, no of course it, and like I say I think if you tried to I and and do it in a in a way that wasn't right if you tried to continue as friends whilst like I say the ill and struggling person is still really fixated on this idea of you being romantically involved at some point like you're only going to end up hurting him if you can't provide that for him Mm. at a later date and that could potentially cause like real damage to any recovery that he's made with you so it is um, it's so sad it's really it's It's a really really awful situation um and it sucks for both of them but I, i do think like yeah, he 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 put because of his feelings and his struggles and his illness, he put her in a situation where she had to be like, well, in in that case, we can't. It, it's a no go. No. I'm afraid. Like, mm. which, which is awful. But I, I do think it is actually ultimately for the best. Yeah. Um. So so back at the courthouse. Walsh is is making his ruling, making his decision. So he says he thinks the idea of high school boys renting dates is disgusting. And he assumes that John took a moment when he first heard about it. Um, But he doesn't think that there was any evidence that sex was provided for a fee. So he's dismissed the charges against Ling. And he just goes, you're free to go with the moral condemnation of the court. And Richard goes, moral condemnation, business will go up. Um... And Ling says that she then wants to sue for malicious prosecution, but Richard <laughs> Richard talks her down and, and they leave. Um, but John stays sitting as everyone is filing out um, and Nell asks if he's coming and he just goes, I never meant to hurt my children and I certainly didn't mean to hurt you. And Nell sort of turns back to him and she's like, oh, I was probably just being irrational. And John says, no, you weren't. And he says he was, he's sorry. Um, and Nell touches his hand and he puts his other hand on top, like the old sandwich of hands <laughs> trick. <laughs> um, sandwich hands. And they sort of, they, they sort of seem to have solved their argument, which yes. I don't think they actually have, but they've reconciled. Yes. Um, so... Ali is still in her office and she's rocking backwards and forwards in her chair, staring out the window at the snow. And Elaine is watching her from the doorway. Um, And Elaine comes up to her and says that she did the right thing. And Ali's like, really? Not giving him a chance because he's homeless? And I was like, that's not why... That was what I was referring to. I was like, she's saying that she's she said no because he's homeless, not because he needs help. No, I I think she says that um I think that is her a harsh judgment on herself like she's like she is judging herself for ruling him out and uh, uh, but I I she knows I I don't think she's ruled him out because she's homeless she's just aware that that's how it might look and she's judge uh, she doesn't feel good about the fact no. that she has turned him down completely. But I don't think that 
she I think deep down she knows it was the right thing because of all the right. things I've said previously but she doesn't feel I good about know. it because it sucks it fucking sucks uh, he's a great guy and I agree with you I just I, I'm trying to reconcile that with Ali's vanity about who she dates because we know she never yes, dates anyone yeah, she does. unless they're like of a certain standing unless they're prince society. charming yeah absolutely um, I, I like she even was like that about the fucking guy at the car wash when yes. she was envisaging a future with him she's like he's from a car wash like there's this undercurrent of i could never go there with someone like that it would never have worked out because you know he does a lowly job or he in this case he doesn't have a job or a home like do you know what yeah, i mean and i no, do no. think and i agree that that's probably not the main reason but i i disagree that that wasn't part of it i i think but i, I think it's, she would never have seriously considered a no, relationship no, with him what, what, no ever. i i think i i think it's not unfair to not want to date someone who is homeless when they're homeless like i think i, I think it's absolutely like not I'm not saying it's fine to write them off as a human being or as a friend in your life <laughs> like I'm not saying that but I think it's fair to not want to start a relationship with a homeless person I think that that is not and it's not to be like there are no good homeless people it's more <laughs> it's more for they're clearly in a really bad place in their life and usually yeah. It's not a good, it, usually long lasting relationships aren't likely to spring up from really bad places in, in your life. Like, not that it's impossible, but it's, it's just unlikely. So it's just that thing of like, I think it's fine to feel that that is part of the reason for turning it him down. But I do think that. I do think that's a, a, a small... I, th- I think she liked him enough that that element was a small part of it. Mm. Like, I think she liked him enough for... for uh, Had he not put her in that position of being like, well, it's either we're romantically involved or I, you know, or, or nothing. Like, yeah. because he put that on her, like, I, I, I think... You know, yeah. that's why well, it's turned well, out. Well, Elaine says that, doesn't she? She's like, no, it, it didn't have a chance because he's ill. Yeah. Um, and Elaine says that, can she buy Ali a drink at the bar? And Ali's like, no, I'm just going to go home, but thank you. Um, and Elaine, like, reassures her again. She's like, you, you didn't have any other choice. It's don't beat yourself up about it. I think that's um, the thing. I think when she says that, that's her being, that's her beating herself up. Right, Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I just I know she I know. has. I know she has coupled a past... with how she was with him at the beginning and her past behaviour. It's just hard to give her the benefit of the doubt. I yeah, I I get that. <laughs> I just think I do think it's it's played differently this time, in okay. in a way that that feels more like I I do think she feels like proper fucking bad about this. Um, yeah because she really liked him yeah um so then Vonda starts singing um a Tom Waits song called I hope that I don't fall in love with you 
um, and we get a montage ending. So Ali is walking home in the snow um, and then we see John and Nell walking together in the snow as uh, John slips and <laughs> Nell helps him back up. And then Ali is uh, continuing to walk home and she comes across a group of homeless people on the other side of the street gathering around a fire in a barrel and she sees that Lewis is there um, looking like he did, you know, when Ali met him at the beginning of the show. Um, he doesn't notice Ali. Um, he's just talking to the other people. Um, and Ali sort of stares at him for a bit. And then she starts to walk away back the opposite direction. Um, but then she stops and looks back. Um, but then she keeps on walking. Hmm. And that is the end. Yes, it is. <sighs> I, I thought so... it was quite funny that in the space of like, what, an afternoon, like... Lewis looks grubby all of a sudden. Like. Yeah. He's like, oh, I better rub myself with dirt, otherwise my homeless friends won't accept me. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so it was just, it's another sad one, I guess. Like, melancholy yeah. episode. Yeah, absolutely. January blues. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it, uh, like I say, I think it was a really sad situation where there weren't going to be any winners in in that like yeah. um and yeah uh, i ali's really sad about it cuz he was a nice guy i'm also kind of sad about nell and john because they're not talking to each other properly they're like arguing and but not getting to the root of the issue no it's kind of They've had their surface level argument and then they've gone down like a level into slightly deeper water, but still not getting into like the root of it. And I think the root of it is likely, likely that knowing this about John has, has changed the way she perceived him and saw him. Yeah. And, and she's now, uh, and and it was upsetting to find it out in that way. And I just think it's just a case of adjustment, isn't it? She's just going to have yeah. to incorporate a past into that person she knows. And, yeah. and, not, and hopefully she can do it in a way that where she can be understanding about it and forgiving about it and, you know, not let it colour who she knows John to be. Yeah. Retrial. We've got, um, I don't know Marcus's surname, but he was suing Ling. Um, or was it his parents what, that were suing Ling? Yeah, someone was suing Ling. Someone One of was. The boys. <laughs> or maybe it was a class action. Maybe all of the boys I were, think but it anyway. Was the parents. I don't think it was the boys. Yeah. So what do you think? Well, I found this... certainly the way they framed it super confusing because until I come on the podcast and started talking it through with you I was reading this this case like they were literally underage like the age of consent was 18 which it it is in some states Mm. isn't it in America yeah um and I just yeah but not in Massachusetts I I just assumed that it Massachusetts was probably one of those states because they say she's been selling dates to underage boys I don't know Uh, to me underage means under the age of consent like why else would you say it (laughs) like do you know what I mean yeah so 
so yeah, now I have to completely rethink what I've written down here because yeah, it was all based, my opinions around this were all based on the idea that they were under the age of consent. As they are not under the age of consent, then I'm just like, yeah, it's a little bit icky and, you know, but it's not illegal um, for for those women to be having sex with those guys, those boys, if they're over the age of consent, then it's not illegal for them to be doing it. And, uh, you know, if they are charging them for money, I don't really give a shit. Like, <laughs> Well, that, that, I don't morally care about that, but it is, that's the bit that would have been illegal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I get that now. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because John says that it's not against the law for 16 year olds to buy dates. And I was sort of grappling with the question of, well, but sh- should it be? Because that, that, you know, it's, I think it's really murky. I just feel like, I think the age of consent being 16 is one thing, but it was very clear that Marcus didn't really know the terms of his agreement. He wasn't sure what he was paying for and what he wasn't paying for. And for me, I guess part of that comes down to the fact that he's, he may be, over the age of consent but he's not an adult yet and I just think if you aren't an adult then maybe you shouldn't be allowed to buy an escort because I do think you have to be 18 to enter into a contract um, okay. don't you and I don't know an es- well you are in this country I don't know if that's the case in the states but for example you can't or is it 16 actually I think you can at 16 with a well, parent's you consent can, well because you, you can join the army at 16 can't you yeah, and that would mean signing a contract. You must be able to sign a contract for a job and stuff, mustn't you? So maybe that's not right. Um, as in what I've just said isn't right. Um, yeah, I don't. I just find it. There's but certain I things think, you can't but, do but, but at, I, eight, at between sixteen and eighteen, and I just wonder whether the emotional maturity that you probably need to understand what you're getting into when you are hiring an escort and what is and isn't allowed. It seems like it was kind of beyond Marcus. And I don't know whether he's like a typical 16 year old boy or whether he's just particularly dim. But but, I um, think, I think if you're going on, you need to be emotionally mature to hire an escort. Like uh, (laughs) I'm going to rule out half of their customer base. Like I, I think the no, thing is... No, but I mean, there is, a, there is a reason why they set adulthood at 18 because they are meant to have a certain amount of maturity. That's why you could yeah, get tried as a criminal, as is, an adult, you the know. The whole thing about him not being sure what he's paid for, well, then that's the fault of the escort service. Like, yes, I agree with that. Escort services are supposed to make it very clear exactly what it is you are paying for and... Like, that's the whole thing with that line of work is that you have to detail exactly what is paid for and exactly what isn't. Like, and so if he's not sure, then that's the fault of either the escort service or Leslie, the escort herself, like, for not making it clear. Um, Well, it's, it's more, I think he was sure he was paying for dates, but it's just the other things that he said, like, he didn't know that she was being nice to him and saying that he was, you know, attractive 
because she was trained to do it or not. And like just the stuff around the edges that confused him and that when she did want to have sex with him, he was unclear as to whether, even though he wasn't charged any extra. So Leslie probably was like, well, I don't have to be clear because this is like in a personal capacity, um, which again is probably her fault for not yeah, being absolutely. more explicit. I think, I think she um, is responsible for muddying those boundaries. Um, yeah. I mean, it's bad form anyway yes, for escorts to try and sleep with their clients. Like, that's just not professional. <laughs> no, no. And I I just... But yeah, I, I do get your point. I do get your point about it, it would be... Yeah, no, I, I get your point about emotional... Like, he, he is still very young to be trying to do something that is... And was initially designed for adults like yeah um, and I, I i get that it's not against the law for mm. that service to be marketed to that age group but i just kind of i i'm not sure whether that's right or not I'm, i mean I, you where know. is this boy getting this money from like he paid about 700 pounds that's 700 dollars for for three dates that sound like they were in relatively quick succession. Who is giving their kids like <laughs> more money than sense? I know, I know, right? Um, um, yeah, I, I, I do get what you mean. I think I just think it's quite murky, isn't it? And mm. it's questionably, it's questionable from a moral perspective, which is what the judge said. Like, I'm not sure ethically it's the right market to no, be targeting. But you know, you know my feelings about like older, like older adults um, oh, pursuing yeah. romantic relationships oh, with yeah. people who yeah. are barely adults themselves, and and in this yeah. case, he he isn't even an adult yet. So no, I I feel icky about that when there isn't money involved um yeah so yeah I do feel icky about it now but I guess like from a legal standpoint I'm like yeah it doesn't look like anything's wrong has happened well I think actually thinking about it I've kind of changed my mind because I was going to say from a legal standpoint they didn't technically um exchange money for sex so it's not illegal but I actually think um it was clear that he wasn't clear about that. Um, yes. And actually, that's a problem. And you shouldn't be running your service like that. And therefore, you, I think Ling should have been at least fined or something. Um, yes, reprimanded in do. some case. I think um, also... Because you cannot just have your escorts going out sleeping. Like, it wasn't just one time. No. It's three escorts. Yeah, well, that only comes in, like, right at the end. Because at the beginning, it makes it sound like this has only happened once with one escort and one like boy. Like an exception. Yeah. yeah. Like, and... and but by the end, you learn that this has happened with three of her escorts. I think she should have fired those escorts and I also, and, or not renewed their freelance contracts, whatever it is. Um, and I think she should have been fined because they weren't making it clear what the boys were paying money for. And if you're going to be marketing your service to a demographic who it just needs a bit more help on understanding what it is that they're buying, then you need to be better at making it clear. Mm. Mm, no but and also not start trying to sleep with them yeah that's not cool absolutely and i think like this is the problem with the character of ling is that she really doesn't see herself as accountable in any way yeah with any of her um 
Well, even for what her staff are doing, that's part of the business model, isn't it? She's like, well, they're freelancers, so it's not my problem. Like, they're they're responsible for what they Yeah, I've set do. down the rules, and if they break them, yeah. well, that's their fault, and it's got nothing to do with me, and yeah. take it up with them. Yeah. Like, it's not her liability, because mm. they're not her salaried employees. Yeah. Which, you know, it just goes to her ethos around business, I suppose. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so I think that's where I... I come down to it. I, I don't think she should have just gotten off. No, no. Verdict of the week. <sighs> the jury's back. What do you think, Eleanor? So I think I might stick with my verdict of the week. Um, it, maybe it's not as like, like I say, because when this basically feeds directly into retrial, because I was finding Lynn guilty because mm-hmm. I was just like, this is like, like it is not fair game to like that th- these are yes they you know we've now worked out that they are of the age of consent but as we've talked through it like they aren't actually adults yet and it's it's not they're not fair game in that way like it and they shouldn't be fair game in that way and i just feel like ling has this really ugly attitude uh, that she shares with Richard where they just think all's fair in business and capitalism and it's just like it's things like this that you're just like well what a reprehensible attitude that is that's so yeah ugly um yeah and yeah the I, I mean my guilty is not as harsh as um, it was previously when I thought she was selling escorts to like under the age of consent children. Yeah. Because I was like, what the fuck, Ling? These are children. Like, <laughs> what are yeah. you doing? Like, how can you think this is okay? Like, this is like terrible. Um, yeah. It's not as harsh as it was because, uh, you know, I now understand that though they're not. 18 and adults in that sense they are over the age of consent so but i i still yeah i still find it icky i still find it, is it icky. um not fair to them like it is no. pure i just want to make money and i don't care about anyone else involved in that just make me money just make me money yeah and i just yeah. think it's a gross attitude to have yeah well I'm gonna give Nell a guilty this week because of how she handled that whole thing with John I just think she never really got to the root of her feelings um about it and she just sunk so low when they were arguing like to pick on his stutter I just think again unforgivable like I could probably forgive the first time but it's just it's clear that it's just her go-to when they you know have a disagreement and that's not fair and not cool um and and a lot of her arguments just didn't make sense um she wasn't being clear about what actually was the problem and she made john apologize and i don't think he had anything to apologize for other than not telling her yeah but they Um, never actually got to that part of the conversation so it's like yeah you don't even i don't think you know what you're apologizing for and i don't think she knows i don't think she knows what you're apologizing for and so well i think he was apologizing (laughs) because 
he was like, you know, I Sorry, didn't I... mean to forego my duty to you if you're my future wife. And I was like, that is not a thing to apologise no, for. it's completely nonsensical. <laughs> like, that's not um, a thing. So it was just such an odd argument uh in the way it was conducted and i just think she handled herself extremely poorly yeah Um, and if i was john i would be having some serious doubts as to the future of the relationship yeah um so i'm i'm giving nella guilty this week yeah no i think that's fair so yes how did you feel about being out in the cold like lewis i guess that's what that's (laughs) referring to um I know. Um, did you like Lewis? Were you enamoured with him like Eleanor and I? Or did you think that it was uh, too far-fetched for you? Uh, let us know. Uh, we are on Twitter at Bygones Podcast and Facebook. Uh, also Instagram at Bygones Pod. And you can always email us uh, Podcast at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah. Until next time. Bygones! Dance with me. Pull me closer, closer and closer, much closer, while the music plays. My little darling, won't you dance with me? Pull me tighter, tighter and tighter, much tighter.